On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about a local champion. It's an uplifting story. It's a great story about a bunch of women who have not only won a bunch of world championships, but also just recently won the Canadian championship. A little backwards, maybe. Usually you win the Canadian first, but they've done it all. We'll be talking with that. Uh, we're going to be chatting about FaceApp. Are you familiar with this? Have you tried this? Have you done that thing on your phone where you make yourself old? Yeah, you might want to rethink that, although it's probably too late to rethink it if you've already done it. If you haven't, listen. If you have, well, listen, but, you know, maybe too late. And we're going to be chatting with Courtney Wilson. She is part of the Courtney and Dave Wilson team on Masters of Flip, the HGTV show where they take homes and rebuild them and sell them again. Uh, She's in town this weekend selling books, signing books at Indigo in Stony Creek. We chat with her about the whole home renovation thing that's going on. Everyone loves watching homes be rebuilt. We'll talk to her about why. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Have you ever seen a dragon boat? You know what I'm talking about because we're going to switch into something that is, as I say, very different, very uplifting. Uh, I've seen them a few times around. Most of the time that I've ever come across a dragon boat, and I'm assuming you know what this is, these giant, giant canoes for all intents and purposes. Uh, It's been watching someone in some exhibition, a group of people, or it's been a team building thing. Everyone gets into the boat and rows together. And of course, have you ever rowed with anybody in a canoe or in a boat? You you never row together. The whole idea is to get in sync and you never do. You go in circles or one person overwhelms the other and the boat always turns left. If you're ever canoeing with your spouse and one of you is stronger than the other, the boat only ever goes in one direction. You do circles. Anyway, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Thing is though, not everyone knows that not all these dragon boat events are just for fun or just for a lark or just for an exhibition or just for a team building thing. My first guest is the woman behind Not Abreast, which is a Hamilton based team that has won the past three world championships in dragon boat racing and just won the Canadian title in Saskatchewan. Her name is Kathy Levy and she joins us now. Kathy, thanks for doing this today. Thank you. I can't even imagine, by the way, as I'm sitting here thinking, you just had the Canadian Championships in Saskatchewan. can't imagine how you transport your dragon boat on an airplane to Regina. <laughs> well, the hardest part is p- putting our paddles on. The dragon boats are provided by whichever organization is running. Oh, that's a relief. Event. Mm-hmm. All right, yeah, that, that would be very, I don't know, cl- cumbersome if you had to get it there somehow. Yes, it would. But do they allow you to at least pack up your paddles? They, well, you you yes. couldn't carry those on. No, they're all um, checked. We, we have, you know, a large case, like a, a golf case type of thing that we can pack in 22 paddles. Uh, this, I want to talk about this because this, uh, I have known about this for a while now. I think a lot of people around town have heard about this in passing at some point, mostly because you've been so successful at doing this. But uh, this whole idea, this not abreast and K-N-O-T, uh, and by the way, why did you choose the name? What's the origin of the name? I know it was a, a, this whole thing has started as kind of a support group of sorts for a breast cancer survivors, right? Yeah, it was. Um, dragon boating in, in general is a huge international sport. Um, for breast cancer, it became something back in 1996 when you were given the diagnosis, you went through all your treatment, um, they, the doctors said, okay, now get on with your life, but don't do this and don't do this and don't do this because they were afraid of, of you developing lymphedema on the side that you had your surgery, uh, lumpectomy, mastectomy, whatever it was. And it was a doctor in BC with a physiotherapist who had also had uh, breast cancer that said, hey, how do you get back to your life when you can't do all of these things? The doctor was Don McKenzie, 
he was um, a canoeist himself and an Olympic uh, medical director for kayak and canoe. So he put together a boat of 22 people and did a research project on it to see if, in fact, this um, side effect, lymphedema, would develop if you did something strenuous with your upper body. He did all the research with these 22 women. He said, great, here's the result. Nobody's developed lymphedema. Nobody's gotten worse who has lymphedema. You can get out and enjoy your life. The women on that boat said, we're not giving this boat up. Hmm. And that's how breast cancer got involved with dragon boating. And now I understand, and I don't know how comfortable you are talking about this, but I understand you're into this because you also are a survivor. Yes, I am. I've, I've had uh, a bilateral double mastectomy uh, 22 years ago. And had you been, uh, had you been a rower or a paddler or anything prior to that? No, I, I was in canoes and kayaks and stuff, but nothing, nothing um, heavy into sports into, into that field. But for me, this looked like a way that I could deal um, with after effects or whatever else came along with the breast cancer. And so we formed a team 21 years ago, and we've been going ever since and gotten more competitive and getting into all sorts of uh, women's events and breast cancer events. And a number of my girls have gotten on to the Canadian national team, um, club crew hmm. teams. It's, it's amazing. Uh, the, interesting thing. And, and this may be a really stupid question, so forgive me, but when you have a mastectomy or, or any surgery there to deal with breast cancer, do they at all cut into the muscle? I'm wondering about this as a rehabilitation thing, because it's a very much an upper body and a chest workout for people. Yeah, and, and they do cut into it. Now, it's changed over all of these years. Um, the surgery is not as devastating as it was when, when I had it done. Um, but um, there are restrictions as the limitation of how far a person may be able to move their arm in that. But this sport, you just adapt. Uh, you just figure out how to do it. Um, you come from that, you see other people like-minded, like, like we are, and they go, okay, I'll give this a shot. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking with Kathy Levy, who is the, the woman who heads up not abreast, which is a Hamilton dragon boat team that has won three times in a row, the world championships and just won the Canadian championship. Um, Kathy, we were, we were saying early on that this was something about 1996, 97, it got started. You got going in 1998. How did you become aware of this sort of this connection, this breast cancer connection to dragon boat racing? My best girlfriend gave me an article that was written in Chatelaine, um, um, by Don McKenzie, um, back when I was having my surgery. And was the idea that it was just going to be kind of a little bit of exercise and a fun diversion along the way to get together and and have some support? Yeah, I think at the beginning I I thought, well, let's give this a try. If I can get 22 women involved in this, we'll see what happens. We did our first race in 1998. I thought that would be it. And the girls came to me and said, can we find another race? And is that what, see, now there is still a difference between racing and racing. And I mean, you know, racing, because, hey, that was really fun and racing because we really have a lot of competitive urges. We got to get out Mm -hmm. of our system here. When did it turn into the latter? When did it become something that was pretty serious that you were going to go and compete in world championships? 
Um, well, we started doing getting involved with the um, championship stuff back in 2005. And uh, we're down in Welland before it became the Welland uh, Flatwater Center. And they used to have some um, high-level racing down there. And I said, let's give it a go. Let's see what we're doing. We're, we're training. Um, I don't want to just be a breast cancer team. I, we work hard. Let's, uh, let's turn into the athletes I know you can be. Tell me about this then. Tell me the people about this though, because the race, how, I mean, how long is the race? How, all that kind of stuff about it. So they, so people have some understanding of what you're doing. So most of the races are 500 meter races. Um, when you get into um, international racing um, or Canadian nationals, you have 200 meter races, 500 meter races and 2K races that are done. And is it all in a, are you by category? Is it, is it by age group? Is it by? Yeah, there are, there are divisions and everything. You've got under 24, you've got premier, which goes to 30. You've got senior A, everybody has to be 40. You've got senior B, everybody has to be 50. Senior C, everybody has to be 60. Um, there are mixed divisions, women's divisions, open divisions, and then there's the breast cancer division. I did watch the replay of you guys winning at the Canadians the other day, and I must say, you're maniacs. Uh, this is <laughs> anyone who has a picture of a bunch of, you know, women sitting in a canoe, just having a pleasant little row. You guys are not that, um, you kind of destroyed the entire field one by at least a boat length, if not more. Uh, do you do more than one race in a day or is it a race and then you have the rest of the day is off? No, you do more than one race in a day. However, the, the event can take a long time during a day to get things done. It, it depends on whether it depends on how many teams there are, but, um, most, most race events will run a day or two days. So I, I, there, yeah, no, there yeah, no, hour. no, I'm, I'm, um, I, the other thing is I looked on your website and, and it's an inspiring thing, I suppose. It's also, I, I suppose, a bit of an unfortunate thing. There are a lot of you. There's a lot of people who are involved in this now. When I say inspiring, that's great that all these people have found you. It's also, as I say, disconcerting that this many people, because everyone on your team has to be a breast cancer survivor, yes, correct? Yes, they do. Yeah. How do they all find you? Word of mouth. That's it? Yeah. And if someone shows up and they want to be part of it, they're automatically in? Yep. Well, we give them a try, see what they can do if they like it, because as you said, this isn't leisurely. Mm-hmm. This is hard work. So it's a matter of can they can they give the time? Do they want to do this paddling? Some of some people we have had on our team have never stepped on the boat. They have come strictly for the um, nutritional aspect that we do, um, the exercising that we do to help us do our fundraising. They don't want to be on the boat. And here's a bit of a shocker that I never contemplated. You've had men on the team. Yes, we have. We were the first team in the world to have a man, and then we got two. Now, both of them have gone on to do all sorts of other stuff now. Uh, just before I let you go, I do have to ask this, because uh, these are enormous boats, and when I was watching, the water was very calm, but there's got to be times that it's not very, it's not as calm. Did it ever go wrong? Yeah, it does go wrong, and it went wrong at the Canadian Nationals. Uh, the winds got up to um, 56, 63 clicks, and uh, they had to cancel, uh, well, our heats got canceled on the Friday. The boat ever go? The boat never goes over. You never end the up in the water. They can go over. Really? Yes, they can go over, yep. 
Yep. See, I've never had the I've never had the the fun to be able to see a boat. No, probably not fun when you're in the boat, but for the people watching, it's like watching a NASCAR. And no one says they want to watch the crash, but come on, we all want to see a bit. You know, it would be great to see a boat go in as long as it's not you guys, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And there was a boat <laughs> at the Canadian Nationals that actually sank. There was so much water in the boat, it just sank, and the the paddlers stayed in the boat until the the uh, rescue boats came along and said, "Okay, we'll get you over." Kathy Levy, if someone is interested in this, if they are a breast cancer survivor, if they know someone who is that may be interested, uh, do you guys have what's the website so people can look it up? It's um, notabreast.com. No, very simple. K N O T is in a knot, like a K N O T. Kathy, I really appreciate. It. Congratulations on winning again, and I appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks for doing this. May I make one please one correction for you? Yes. We don't row. We paddle. Paddle. Yeah. Okay. You're, thank you. Uh, in the Olympics, whenever they do the Olympics, I always get that wrong anyway. But yes, thank you. That's a, that's a good correction. Uh, <laughs> Kathy Levy, always that too. really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm guessing that a fair number of you have tried FaceApp by now. Many of you know what I'm talking about. It is a, an app on your smartphone. If you have a smartphone, chances are you've done this. It's an app on your smartphone that you take a selfie of yourself which I guess is redundant. That's what a selfie is. Um, and using some sort of algorithm, it adjusts that and ages you by, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years. You see what you're going to look like when you're 80 or 90 years old, which is kind of interesting. Now, I don't know what happens to someone who's already 80 or 90 years old. I don't know if it like shows you just as a skull. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, but it's a really intriguing idea and it's really tempting to look and to go, Hey, what am I going to look like? Am I going to be a, you know, am I going to look like a good, good looking guy? Or am I going to be one of those horrible Apple doll people? Well, that allure and that temptation and that curiosity has caused tens of millions of people to try this app already. It's very simple. It doesn't take anything. You take your picture, boom, there you see what you look like. However, there are people now who are saying, experts in the field, lawyers, tech people, saying, wait a second, hold on one second. There are some serious privacy concerns here that we want to maybe take a step back and reevaluate. Uh, let me bring in Alan Mendelson. He is a lawyer who deals with internet issues. We love having him on. Alan, how are you today? I'm fine, Scott. How are you? I'm great. Uh, you know, this is one of those apps, like there's a lot of great apps that we look at. We go, oh, this seems so much fun. And when you do it, it really is kind of intriguing and kind of fun. And we don't really think that maybe, maybe there is some stuff going on behind the scenes. And the thing with these things, Alan, that always I think of probably after, probably too late, I'm a little slow on the draw, is when people make these apps and they don't cost anything, there's got to be some kind of upside to them. Somewhere there's got to be a benefit to them. They're not just doing this for philanthropic reasons. And I think that's where we start asking questions about this kind of thing. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, I'm sure you and I have discussed this before about how any time when you get a service for free or a product for free on the Internet, well, it's not really free. It's your data that they are acquiring and perhaps monetizing in some way. Uh, you know, Google being the classic example, we so many of us use Gmail for free. And but there are ways that Gmail monetizes what you 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 know, you do with them. Facebook is the same thing. So it's not surprising that there's got to be something behind FaceApp where FaceApp believes it can make money. 
Right. Because you're not paying them money directly doesn't mean they're not monetizing it somehow and turning it into money. Exactly. You're you're paying them with your face. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, as with any free, uh, whether web-based or phone-based application, um, everyone always has to ask themselves, you know, why am I getting this for free? And for the most part, you're getting it for free because you're providing data that the company who is giving you the service for free can monetize somehow. And one of the things, and I, I know you and I have talked about this before a long time back, but one of the areas that people have had some concerns about and thrown up some caution flags about is facial recognition technology. And we've seen this used to horrendous big brother effect in some parts of China already, where you can't walk anywhere in China in certain areas without you being monitored everywhere you go. This is one of those things where you say, oh, I don't know. I'm now giving my face to a company and I don't know what they're going to do with it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's, uh, you know, you are freely granting your facial image to a company that is based in Russia. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I knew you, I knew you'd bring it up yeah. sooner or later, Scott. So I figured I, you know, I beat you to the punch. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, not that everyone in Silicon Valley is 100%, uh, you know, free from issues. But obviously, that's going to raise red flags when it's a Russian company behind this particular application. And so, you know, you never know what's being done with the information. Well, we just, you know, today we watched on the news while Mueller was being grilled down in the States in front of Congress. And the entire point of that was the Russians were trying to do some nefarious things, allegedly, in U.S. politics. Well, as soon as you drop, whether the Russians are lovely people or not, and certainly, in you know, many of them are, but in the IT world, we don't really know. When you start to, they're using an American server, but this company that built FaceApp is a Russian company. They ultimately, the Russians then have all these faces, have all this data. That, that uh, again, not to throw a wet blanket over every Russian person, but that does raise some concerns. Oh, there's, there's no question. And, you know, in all of the stories with respect to, you know, this FaceApp, um, FaceApp representatives have stated that, no, you know, we're not taking your data to Russia. It's being stored in the United States. Don't worry about it. Um, but, you know, I like to be prepared, as always, when I come on with you, Scott. So I, I took a look at FaceApp's privacy policy in terms of service to see, you know, really what it says with respect to where your data is being stored. And if you'll allow me, I'll just quote directly from their privacy policy, which clearly says, your information collected through the service may be stored and processed in the United States or any other country in which FaceApp, its affiliates, or service providers maintain facilities. Well, FaceApp certainly maintains facilities in Russia, so there you go. I mean, you know, and us lawyers, whenever we're not quite sure what to what might happen or we want to leave our options open, we always use the word may. So here you go. Your information may be stored in any other country in which FaceApp maintains facilities. Well, that's Russia. So, you know, I'm not sure that I'm confident in the statements made by uh, the FaceApp representatives who say this is not going to Russia because I don't think that's true. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking with Alan Mendelson, who's an internet lawyer, about FaceApp is that 
app that you can use to take a picture of yourself and then it'll make you look old so you can see what you're going to look like when you're 80 or 90 years old. Alan, just before the break, you were giving us the um, the lawyer contract about about where this stuff could be stored. Let me throw another lawyer Sorry, one back. I have, a, I have a habit of reading the lawyer contract. Hey, that's a, it's it, it helps us a lot. And well, let me I'm read gonna... one back to you because... Sure. Because this is what you sign off on. Now, no one, I'm sure, is reading the small print when they sign on to do this because they go, oh, it's fun. It's a face app. Hey, great. Here's what it says in the small print when you join on. You grant FaceApp a, this is a quote, by the way, you grant FaceApp a perpetual, irrevocable, non-exclusive, royalty-free, worldwide, fully paid, transferable, sub-licensable license to use, reproduce, modify, adapt, publish, translate, create derivative works from, distribute, publicly perform, and display your user content and any name, username, or likeness provided in connection with your user content in all media formats and channels known now or later developed without compensation to you. That pretty much says they can do absolutely anything, anywhere, at any time with your likeness. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I must say, I, I'll congratulate the lawyers who wrote that. Because <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's quite well written. Uh, now, now, understand, Scott, and as someone who drafts documents like the one you were just reading from for a living, I have written essentially the exact same thing for clients that your you know, listeners would know of. Uh, and that exact same license would be found in just about any application or website where you submit what is called user content to. So it's a very standard term in these documents. And I know, like I said, because I draft them. So the, the difference here is that you're talking about user content that includes your face mm. and pictures of your face. So, you know, normally when we talk about user content, like if you, for example, were to read the terms of service for YouTube, that would have, YouTube would have that exact same uh, general, I mean, YouTube's a little more complicated because of the videos, but for the comments you make on the YouTube videos or for the comments you make on any blog in existence, or even Global News' website, if they allowed comments, you know, you would see that exact same type of condition with respect to licensing the user content. And again, user content can be anything from the face picture that you're submitting to FaceApp or a comment that you make on a blog. So you will see that in just about every um, you know, user or, uh, excuse me, terms of service that you would see on a website or app. So that's not particularly surprising, but the fact is in this particular case, when you're talking about pictures of yourself that you're uploading, yes, it can be seen as being pretty, um, egregious and unpleasant. Well, and what I really thought about this was if someone walked up to you, Alan, on the street in Montreal, where you are, someone walks up to you and without any warning or without saying anything, pulls out a camera and tries to snap a photo of your face, you are probably not going to stop and smile. You're going to say, what are you doing? Who are you? What's this for? Like, you're going to have all kinds of questions about how that photo is going to be used. Absolutely. The law clearly uh, grants you the right to your own image. But at the same time, the law allows you to waive that right. Of course. Or, or grant 
a license for other people when you allow them to do so. And by accepting the terms and conditions of privacy policy, when you download an app onto your phone or when you sign up for some service on the Internet, you are granting them that license that you just read. So and by extension, you are granting them if you know you are uploading pictures of yourself, you're granting them permission to use that picture of yourself. There are limitations and, you know, certain strict guidelines about how pictures of people can be used um, that are entrenched in law. But But how does that, okay, so let me jump in for one second. We've got a minute or so left here. How does that work? You've got a Canadian, if this case, if you or I were doing it, using an American server with a Russian company, let's say someone exceeds the bounds of those limitations, whatever they are, how in the world can I possibly do anything about that? Well, the short answer, given that I have less than a minute now, is that you can't. So, and that's the, that is the general problem that you and I have talked about many times is the international nature of the internet and generally that the law stops at national borders, but your data flows do not. And as a result, enforcing rights in your picture, in your own data, across national borders, can be next to impossible, if not impossible. So what would your advice be then? Like this, this app, again, tens of millions of people have used it and not everyone is going to show up in weird ways with their face. I'm presuming. Do you just show caution? Do you just say only don't use it if you're a wanted felon who's on the run from the law and doesn't want to be felon? Who shouldn't use this then? Uh, Well, the extreme answer would be nobody should use this. And if you are concerned at all about your face or your picture being used in any way whatsoever, then you shouldn't use it. What if you have used it? Is there any way to get your face out of their their server now? Unfortunately, as the old expression goes, uh, the cat's out of the bag and uh, you're probably out of luck. Alan Mendelson, always love having you on. Thanks for doing this today. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Scott. Have a great evening. Uh, again, it's FaceApp. Look, I'm not suggesting that you are immediately going to be used for facial recognition technology and that your likeness is gone and you are forever now, you've lost your privacy. I, I don't I don't know if that's the case. But with a lot of these apps and a lot of these things we do, I think it's at least wise to, before you jump in, go, wait a second, Someone's getting something. Nobody is building apps and doing all this stuff just because they want to help humanity. I'm sorry. I wish that was the case. I wish everyone was philanthropic, but someone's getting something. And if if they're not charging me for this, what am I actually paying them? And then make the decision. Is it worth it to give my likeness if that's what I'm paying them? Is it worth it for them to have my likeness in exchange for the thing they are giving me? That's that's the question that you, I think, is a, a reasonable question, whether it's this app or any of the others. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. This Saturday, Courtney Wilson and her husband, Dave, who you know, if you watch HGTV, and let's face it, who doesn't? It's everybody's guilty pleasure now. I don't even know if it's necessarily a guilty pleasure. We just do. Uh, Courtney Wilson and her husband, Dave, from Masters of Flip are going to be at Stony Creek's Indigo location, 1 p.m. on Saturday. Well, we have been lucky enough to grab Courtney. I'm not sure where she is. I think she's driving along the highway somewhere, but we're able to get her. Courtney, thanks for doing this today. Thank you so much for having me. I Now, many people may not know this, uh, but you and your husband, you and Dave are both Canadians. 
Yeah, we actually were born and raised in Canada. Dave's from Ottawa, and I'm from, I don't know, I'm from all over. <laughs> 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 and, um, but we met in Nashville, Tennessee, 20 of course. years ago. Of course, yeah, that's how it works. Crazy. That's how it works, yeah. And he was living, what, in London, England at the time. So just to make it entirely implausible. Yeah, wow, you've done your research. Oh, you know. <laughs> uh, we watched the what show. What, you, what can I say? <laughs> say that again? What was he wearing when he met me? Well, <laughs> my research... Now, you're probably not old enough to remember Brian Linehan. He would know that stuff if he'd been alive to do this interview. I, I'm not old enough. Um, let me ask you this. A, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was, they were t- talking about the fact that this was or that was the 40th anniversary of... Do you remember? You, you would know Bob Vila. He's the guy who did This Old House on PBS. Yeah. And, and it was really the first show that was done about someone going That's and right. taking built rundown old homes and turning it around and no one ever thought it was going to be anything because who wants to watch people fix an old house that's sort of stupid and then everybody <laughs> loved it and now we have hgtv and we have a million shows and you guys are stars why do we love watching people fix old houses well I th- you know for one i think it's rewarding to be able to watch um you know in, in 30 to 60 minutes somebody flip an entire house it's not, actually not how it happens people really <laughs> i know exactly but you know what even we forget you know like you're watching an episode down and it's immediately rewarding um so you're seeing the best parts of the most dramatic parts and also like i i love i don't want to call our show mindless <laughs> but i love mindless television something that makes me feel good something i don't have to think about somebody else is doing the work um, and so even for me, turning that on at the end of the night, it's also something that I can watch with my kids, it's family, and in a world where things are chaotic, I think people have just gravitated to that. And I think there might be something to the fact that you and Dave and the people who do those shows and your crews are very, very, very good at what you do. And we realize when we watch this, that this is something we could never do. <laughs> well, you know, it's much like going on Pinterest or something, you know, where you like, you know, you post recipes you think you're going to make but never do. <laughs> you know, you may dream a little bit when you're watching these home renovation shows. And we and we want people to do. But, you know, I feel like I'm constantly surprised at how many people actually take on projects after watching our show. They're like, you know what? If you guys can do it, anybody can. <laughs> and then they discover. And then they discover how wrong they are. I think there would be, I think you could make a lot of money somewhere on HGTV by doing a show of the people who aren't like you guys, doing a show on people who start a project and then we watch them turn it into complete chaos. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, we're, we obviously live in the U.S. and there actually have been shows like that that I have watched and I personally thought it was awesome, but I don't think they did as well because... You know, it wasn't fun to see people fail all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't fun to see people like lose their shit on houses, on house renovations. It was stressful. So, yeah, I'm sure there's an upside to it, but that was definitely the down. How, you must, though, have people uh, who after you do your stuff and they, they want you to look at their work, that, that somewhere along the way, someone's done their own home renovation stuff. How often do you look at it and you say, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe so many people are talented. And how many times do you look and go, okay, that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, 50-50. <laughs> so, you know, 50% of the time, especially when we're doing, you know, we're going to be, um, we've been on a book tour and and we have speaking engagements. And so when we're, you know, when we're meeting people, they constantly want to show us pictures. And we love that. Like, we love being able to see their project. Um, and I'd say 50% of the time, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Partly due to the fact that so many people watch home renovation shows. 
You know, they're getting ideas. They know they've seen the mistakes play out on TV. And then 50% of the time I'm like, oh dear, like I wish I could go to their house and help them. (laughs) But you have a friendly (laughs) face, so they don't know that you're thinking that in the back of your head. (laughs) Maybe. Sometimes I wear my heart on my sleeve, so I'm like, I may may show, like I'll be like, well, have you thought about, or you know what, if if you don't love that, and I was like, oh no, 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 I love that. I'm like, amazing, that's great then. Because if you love it, I I don't have to look at it and I don't have to live in it, and I certainly don't have to pay for it. So if you love it, really, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. How much pressure is on you, though, you and Dave? Because you can't be, I don't think, with your job, with your with your brand, you can't be the person that someone looks at and grits their teeth and goes, oh, that's terrific. You, I mean, the expectation is that everything you touch is going to be great. Yes, I think that sometimes is the expectation. It's, you know, I don't actually, we don't do that, you know, make this show with that in mind to be honest we we really are flipping houses do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. really this really is it's not just for hollywood yeah it's not just for hollywood it's not just for tv if we lose our shirts we are losing it we pay for the houses we find them the whole death and that's not like other some of the other shows are not like that so um you know, for me, I don't. I, I have to just think about our market. Um, the only thing that really truly comes into play with TV is that I want the viewer to, um, you know, I want them to not get bored. So I don't. My renovations don't look the same from house to house, and that's for them, but it's also for me. Mm. <laughs> I get bored, so I, you know, I want to change it up after flipping over 125 houses. You wow. Know, I want to. I want to surprise myself sometimes. Are you a perfectionist? No, it's funny because I am very type A. I'm very organized. I live my life on systems. <laughs> um, and if you read the book, you'll know that. But I am not a perfectionist. Um, I'm able to make quick decisions. I don't overthink things. Um, you know, I analyze it, but I don't analyze anything to death. Um, so I'm actually not a perfectionist. I like things done right, for sure. But I can live with it when it's not. But when you finish a house, how often when you finish a house, and I mean, again, you're, you are very, very good at what you do. So this, for, from, from the average person who is watching this, you will finish every show and everyone goes, wow, that's just amazing. How many times though, do you get a little, I don't know, self-critical of what you do and you're looking at what you finished and say, oh, I wish I could do that again. Or I wish that's not exactly how I want it. Does it happen often? Or do you most of the time go, wow, that's a masterpiece. No, I never say that's a masterpiece. I'm always, it's not that I'm critical, um, but, you know, I always want to push the envelope and I always feel I could do something better, but I'm also satisfied. I'm satisfied, you know, when we're handing the house over. I'm never, you know, you know, often I've passed the house and they've changed the color of the door, you know, because a lot of these houses are in our neighborhood or around our neighborhood, certainly in our city. I'm not easily offended that way. So I, I, you know, I don't, this isn't rocket science. You know, we're not changing the world or curing cancer. You know, we're flipping houses at the end of the day. And so I really, you know, I I want, that would take the enjoyment out of it for me. (laughs) But I, you know, I, in fact, I just picked colors for a house um, that I have going on back. I'm in Toronto right now, but I'm selecting colors for a house in, in Stratton. And I don't have as much time as I'd like to give to it. And it may not be perfect, but it's nothing that another coat of paint won't fix, you know? You, the amazing thing about all this is, and I didn't realize this, and maybe I should have, you guys kind of stumbled into this life, right? This was not what you set out to do. (laughs) No, I mean, like such as, you know, so many other people's stories, we had different dreams. 
And they evolved. They had to evolve. And, you know, Dave and I both moved to Nashville for different reasons. Me, it was for music to get a record deal, of which I did. My very first week, I actually got a record or a production deal uh, with Reba McIntyre and her production company and, a, you know, and a publishing deal. And then shortly thereafter, I signed with Disney Records. And that was awesome for a while. Um, but, you know, September 11th hit. A lot of new artists like me lost their deals. And um, although I signed another one, eventually I, I had other goals. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to travel. And, and music wasn't paying for that. <laughs> so, you know, the music industry can be feast or famine. And when it was famine, it wasn't very fun. So I was like, you know, this served its purpose. I certainly, like, I highly recommend following your dreams because I don't have those regrets. I but think. it... But it gives hope to the rest of us who aren't necessarily professional builders that, you know, when we're poking around the house doing some things, not to the level you guys are, but it gives hope that it's possible for some people to do some stuff. It's totally possible and doable. And, you know, we're not the type of house flippers that do everything ourselves. Certainly, I I plan everything out. I design it. I work with the architect. Like, I do all of that. But, like, we're not in there hammering nails every single day. Um, the art, the, you know, the best, I think, and most, most successful house flippers are the ones that know their own limits and pass that stuff on. The, um, do you watch the other HGTV show? Do you watch other designers and other builders when you're not working? I used to watch them a lot more, <laughs> but as it turns out, when you're a house flipper, you don't, when you want to unwind, you don't really want to watch. I wondered about that, whether it's just work, it's shows, work. Yes. Yeah, it's work. So, like, I, I know all of the stuff that I'm about to do now. I sometimes watch it for work, which is funny. Like, I watch it with different eyes now. Like, oh, what are other people doing? Mm. Um, you know, how can we shoot it differently to make it more fun and more interesting? And so I watch a, a more for work now, but not not as much for fun. Now I, I like, binge watch, you know, shows on Netflix. And mm. stuff on, honestly, Courtney, <laughs> I don't know if you want to admit this, but are you a competitive person? Do you watch those other shows and go, oh, I would have done that. Oh, I, you know, ours was better than that one. <laughs> you know, I am, okay, two questions, two answers. <laughs> I am super competitive, yes, but I rarely watch those shows and do that. Like, I, I know that, you know, when it comes down to budgets and stuff, everybody wants, you know, the sky's the limit. Everybody wants the like amazing open floor plan and mm. certain things, but you just can't have it. And, and certain house flippers are working with different budgets and every house on a different street has a different budget. So I always know there's, there's something behind it. So you haven't flipped to the channel and said, Oh, that Joanna Gaines is such a hack. Oh my gosh, <laughs> as if I could ever say that. She's a dream. Yeah, no, I, no, I am, I look up to, and this is, this isn't like I'm blowing smoke. I truly look up to, a lot of these designers and a lot of them are, I always call myself a fake designer. <laughs> I got into this, you know, I was an artist. I was a musician. I was on a soap opera. Like the, the design world was not what I set out to be. I would, you yeah. know, I didn't go to school per se for design. That doesn't mean that there aren't designers, amazing designers out there that didn't go to school, but some of these people have spent their entire life like honing their craft. And I truly look up to them. But what's, and we only have a minute or so left or a couple of minutes left, but what's really amazing about this to me is uh, with HGTV, and again, there's so many shows now, and especially among the ones at the very top of the pecking order, and you're there, you guys have had a huge impact, I would believe, on a lot of the design stuff that people are doing now. That, that a lot of the, the things that people want to do with their homes are coming from ideas that you and Joanna Gaines and others are doing. Yeah, you know what, 
I, I, that's really sweet. I don't think of it that way, but you're right. I, I mean, if you're watching a lot of these shows that are played a lot, then you pro- it's hard for it to not influence you for better or worse. <laughs> you know, some people are going to gravitate to another designer and other people, you know, who love color and love pushing the envelope may look at mine and be inspired. But my, I, I don't feel like my designs and certainly our episodes are intended to to appeal to everybody. They're so drastically different from episode to episode. I just want you to stay tuned in <laughs> so we can, you know, still have a show and put, you know, food on the table. And so we're really grateful for that. But we don't expect, I certainly don't expect everybody to love everything that we do. That said, how many times do people come up to you and say, will you please come to X town where I live and do my house for me? It must oh, happen all the time. All the time, and I so wish, like, I read sad stories sometimes, and I, I wish, I, like, I'll read emails over and over and over, and I just can't. Like, I, like, I own, I can't without, you know, like, <laughs> handing my kids over to somebody else. <laughs> There's only so many, you know, so many hours in the day, and I think that's part of the reason that I, you know, that we wrote this book called Live Happy. It's not about necessarily house flipping. There are house flipping tips, there are decor tips, but there are also just life tips, like how to manage all of these things, these decisions. I mean, there's literally a tip in it about like people who can't make decisions and how to help that. So it was intended to sort of be that thing that I could hand to somebody who is like, can you please do this? Can you please tell me everything you know? Here it is. <laughs> and that book you will be signing at chapters at Indigo, pardon me, in Stony Creek Saturday at 1 p.m. You will be signing the books, right? I assume that's what's yes, going to be happening. We, we every single one of them so please come out we never leave no matter how long the line is and we I think and it's not for sure but I heard that the indigo stores are pet friendly so we may actually be bringing our pug our little dog Donnie (laughs) well I tell you you are you are very kind to do this I appreciate your time and I must say that I I would be more ruthless than you if I had all these people calling me to say come to my town I that's fine a million bucks a house and we're done (laughs) And, you know, I don't know how long they take, but you do three or four of those a year, and plus the TV show, you know, it's all good. You're way too nice to not do that to them. way cooler than me. Courtney Wilson, you can see her on Masters of Flip. That's on HGTV uh, for a little while longer. How many more episodes? Because I know you're changing things up a little bit. How many more episodes? We are currently in... Uh, Toronto right now filming a brand new show where we are flipping other people's houses. So there you we go. We are helping them with their renos. So that seems to be the next evolution. Like you just said, it, it, I get so many things, so many emails and texts and messages about this that it just felt like the right thing to do. Courtney and Dave Wilson at Indigo in Stony Creek, Saturday at 1 p.m. Courtney, I really appreciate you taking some time to do this today. Thanks so I much. I really appreciate it. I truly hope to see everybody there. That is, uh, that is, as I say, Courtney Wilson. That's a great show. If you, I mean, everybody watches it. Even Ben probably watches. And Ben doesn't own a house yet. Give him time. But it's, it's one of those things. And I don't, you know, she touches on it that it's a satisfying thing in the span of an hour. It's like when watching CSI, when a horrible crime can be committed in one hour, or not committed, solved. <laughs> Crimes can be committed in a lot less than an hour. That a crime can be solved, a complicated thing in an hour. It's, oh, it's very satisfying. There's a finish to it. And the same with a house. You look at this piece of junk house that suddenly is a gem in the span of an hour, but everybody watches it. Uh, Masters of Flip. So go on HGTV. If you're not, if you're still not sure, most of you know who that was. If you're still not sure, go on HGTV tonight, look up Masters of Flip. I'm sure there's an episode on and you'll remember and then go see them Saturday at one. 
The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.